0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Pocket Theology. Uh, My friend Jason and I are hosts. Uh, Jason, say hello. Hello everyone. Wow, you are trying to beat my record. He added another word this time. So Jason and I are both small church pastors, Jason in Illinois and I in Iowa, and we are not trying to be experts on any of these things we talk about. We just want to help educate people about some of these topics. So this week, we are actually going to be doing a crash course on Hacks. So, Jason, let's start out with the question, what is the Book of Acts? It's a book in the Bible. You're so helpful.
1: Yeah. um, So the Book of Acts kind of occupies a weird place, and I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, but it is a or is often called a history book. And there's a whole section of history books in the Old Testament, there's only one in the New Testament. But at the same time, when we say this is a history book, we don't mean it's a history textbook, because ancient writers, we mentioned this in the Job series, did not write like modern writers do. So it is a book that is meant to tell a very specific period of church history through a very narrow lens, it follows a few of the apostles for a little bit, and then it specifically follows Paul, who's not one of the original apostles of Jesus, but rather is chosen by Jesus to be his representative to the Gentiles after Jesus's death and resurrection. So Acts will follow primarily his story, and only for a fairly brief period of time, you know, a handful of years. That's it. There's some theological points made within the book, but there's also some things mentioned in the book that are fine but not required, or that are just downright bad examples, because,
0: you know, Luke is a historian, and he's recording what happened. I think, first of all, you did a great job summarizing the book. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens through the book. You get to see the birth of the church and how the Holy Spirit acts through that. Uh, You get to see what uh, most people would consider the prime example of speaking in tongues at that same moment, uh, which is super crazy. A and couple times, actually. See, yeah. Yeah. And then you get to see um, what the the first church looked like. And uh, as somebody in the 21st century, uh, as leaders in the church, I think we'd both say that our churches don't look like that necessarily. There's Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Or is it's it? Not. And I guess that's one of the things you have to struggle with when you look through Acts is what are we allowed to change and what are we not? What is descriptive
0: and what is normative. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so what makes Acts different from a history book?
1: Uh, different from like an Old Testament history book or different from like a modern history textbook?
0: Well, for instance, uh, we have texts through the second century, through the third, third century with church fathers who are recounting church history as well, Right. Uh, and some of them will tell you about specific churches. Some of them will tell you about specific teachers. But what makes Acts different from these? They're very similar. Uh, those are those are still
1: ancient writers. They're still not going to care too much about chronology. It's one of the things that if you're going to read any ancient book, including any of the books of the Bible, when historical events are recorded, the authors don't usually care about chronology they'll give you some markers you can see this like in kings where when a new king comes to power the book of kings that is which is one book we have it as two in our english bibles but it was originally one book when a new king comes to power then it says during the 14th reign of whatever the king was if we're talking about a judean king the normally it's like in the 14th year of king whatever of israel so there is some concern about like i want you to know when these things happened. But there's not a big concern for being like, so if if someone were writing a history text or uh, yeah a history text, an ancient history text about my life, like in an ancient style, and they're talking specifically about today, they may or may not care about saying Jason woke up and then he brushed his teeth and then he ate breakfast and then he went to work and then he came home and then they would just give you the events that mattered. So they might not mention anything about waking up, they might not mention anything about me eating breakfast, but they might mention me going to work. And then they might mention, if they're trying to make a point about how like uh, deep and thoughtful I am, they might mention that uh, I went to the lake today just to to walk around and pray a little bit and look at the animals, which I actually did do today, It was it was great, it was wonderful, it was a good time with Jesus. They might mention those two things, but then not mention anything else. And they might mention those events backwards. So I went to work, and then I went to the lake. They might say that I went to the lake, and then I went to work, so they can make a point about what a prayerful person I am, so that in their narrative, I'm praying and spending time in God's creation before I even do anything productive with my day. Not really what I did. I did both of those things, but they didn't happen in that order. So you're changing the order to make a literary point. So you have to remember those things when you're reading ancient texts. Here's the kind of funny thing about Luke though. In his gospel, he seems to move events around a lot, whereas in the book of Acts, it doesn't look like he does that as much. And so you have to ask, why does he keep events more or less in chronological order in Acts, as far as we can tell? And it seems to be because he wants to track the spread of the church from Jerusalem, as he records the Great Commission in Acts 1-8, right? Uh, that you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He wants to track how the church actually did that. So he starts off the first few chapters, everything's happening in and around Jerusalem. And then the next couple chapters, everything's happening in the larger region throughout Judea, Samaria, and a little bit outside of that. And then the next couple chapters, it's how did the gospel get from the Middle East, you know, into Europe uh, following the apostle Paul. So, It is very similar in a lot of ways to other ancient texts is the point, other ancient history texts, but it's going to serve its own purpose. And Luke's purpose is let's track the history of the church and each of those other authors, whether it's Clement of Rome or whoever is going to have a different purpose. The other really important things to remember, which are easy churchy answers, is this book is written by someone who is very close to the apostles, which is going to be true to some people, like Clement of Rome, who is probably one of John's disciples. But for the most part, when you're talking about early church history, it's written hundreds of years after the events that are being described. And Luke is writing these events very shortly after they happened. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were probably both written before 70 AD because there's no mention of the destruction of the Jewish temple, which happened in 70 AD. We know exactly when that happened. So this is a very, very early book written within decades of Jesus' death. The other easy churchy part of the answer is this book is considered authoritative and inspired is the word you'll hear a lot. Uh, So it is part of the New Testament canon. Christians, at least Orthodox Christians, um, that's going to include Eastern Orthodox, Catholics, uh, evangelicals, other forms of Protestant, whether they're mainline or whatever, they're going to say this book should be part of the Bible and everything in it is in some sense true. Even if it's a little weird and foreign to us, it is true and it has value for teaching and it's something that God gave us for a reason. So that's a few of the things that's going to distinguish the book of Acts and one thing that's going to make it look very similar to other early historians. Anything you want to add there?
0: So one of the things that I want to add is a lot of the early church um, fathers who wrote uh, you know, a couple of centuries after... Most of the time, they're not tracking what happened to the apostles or characters that have already been developed or mentioned, at least in the New Testament. Uh, a couple of them do, but most of them are going to track what's happening in the second, third, fourth century. Uh, and most of them are going to be writing. I don't want to say most of them are going to be writing against a certain heresy, but a lot of them are dealing with that. And so they'll write mm-hmm. uh, their letters more than, more often than not are not tracking history, but they're tracking uh, what's being taught and how to combat things that have been, well, heresy, things that have been decided by the church to be wrong, basically. So they're going to uh, be
1: theological treaties rather than trying to track the actions of individuals and tell stories about the church. You're going to get some of that, but it's going to be incidental.
0: Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. so the focus of it kind of makes it different in that way. Uh, One of the other things that I wanted to mention in Acts, uh, first of all, it is, like we said, it's tracking the first century-ish church, but it's really tracking how the church grows, which again is Mm a point of a difference between what these early church fathers are writing and what Luke is writing in Acts. Because for the most part, they're not even when they're writing, they're not tracking about, you know, this church gets planted at this point, and this church is getting planted at this point. Luke is following, in the second half of the book at least, is following Paul and the churches that he plants and the conversations that he has and how he does it. So the next question that I wanted to ask, and I'm actually going to add one from our notes, Jason, so you may not be super prepared. Why is it important that we read the book of Acts? Why does it matter that it's even in there?
1: So the answer that I, I probably would have gotten if I would asked most, like Christian influences in my life growing up is because it's in the Bible, which by the way, is a bad answer to questions like this. You know, someone's, why should I read Acts? Why should I read Zephaniah? Why should I read whatever? If your answer is because it's in the Bible, that is a, that is a poor argument. Um, the book of Acts is going to give us, well, I mean, even looking at L- Luke's own, like, purpose statement, right? He's writing this person named Theophilus, which might be an actual name. It might be a group of people. It might be a pseudonym. We don't know who the heck Theophilus is. Um, But Luke says in chapter one, verse one, the first account I composed, which is the gospel of Luke, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about Jesus or all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and continues on. And that word began kind of hints at what the point of the book is. And if you keep reading through the next couple verses through chapter one, um, specifically like verse one through eleven then Luke's going to give this, hey, remember this first count? I told you all about all the stuff that Jesus started doing. And then Jesus is going to give this commission, which we have recorded five times in the New Testament, and every time it's worded differently. Again, ancient historians wrote differently. One of the things about ancient historians is they didn't care about details. I mentioned chronology earlier. They also didn't care too much about details. They cared about the big point. So this great commission, we call it, is recorded in every single one of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. So we have it five times, and every time it's worded slightly differently. But he's going to give, Jesus in Luke's account is going to give this great commission to his followers. we have Luke saying, Jesus began to do and teach a lot of things, and then he died, and then he was resurrected, and then he ascended. But before he ascended, he gave this commandment to his followers. And the commandment is... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. So the book of Acts is meant to describe to us how the earliest version of the church was the heir to Jesus's earthly ministry. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, with Jesus's commandment and blessing, went forward and spread the gospel, spread all that Jesus had taught and all that Jesus had done all across the world with no regard to race, with no regard to status, with no regard to wealth, with no regard to gender. They didn't care. They told everyone. And that's going to be kind of the point of Acts. And within that, you're going to see a lot of stories. Like I said earlier, some of them are going to be really good examples and some are going to be really bad examples. And what you have to do is you have to hold these people that you see in the book of Acts, up against the clear teaching of the epistles and the clear teaching of Jesus himself in the gospels to see, okay, in whatever story, you know, like the story of Ananias and Sapphira, then, okay, who's being a good example here? Who's being a bad example? Are there things in the story that are just incidental and cultural that I don't have to follow, but they're not bad if we did choose to do them, like everyone bringing their money together for a common purpose. So read the book of Acts so you can see a wonderful example of the church being the church is the short answer. And then the longer answer is there's a lot of things in there that you're going to pick up on that if you know the rest of your Bible, you're going to be able to say, oh, that's an awesome example. We should do that in our church. And there's other things you're going to say that might have been bad. We probably shouldn't do that or allow people to do that if they're going to be a part of our communities.
0: It's a great answer. So I'll add in my answer. Uh, My answer is, honestly, it's, great to read if you want to see what persecution really looks like. When we as Christians in the 21st century run into somebody who um, they may not like us because we're Christian. or the big the big answer is, or the big example is um, when we show people in the world that we disapprove of them, and then they disapprove of us and we shout that it's persecution. That's not what that is. Oh, yeah. Um, the first century church dealt with a lot. Uh, in And in Acts, you get to see how Paul especially handles it. Paul deals with a lot of, I mean, a lot of persecution. Uh, I think it's in the church in Thessalonica where uh, he stays with a guy named Jason. LOL, that's your name. Uh, but he stays with a guy named Jason And the Jewish people in town had decided they didn't like that Paul was there after a couple of weeks. And so they basically rounded up all of the really shady people in town and said, hey, go to Jason's house and drag this Paul guy out and beat him up. And Jason wouldn't give him up. So they pulled Jason out of his house and basically beat him until sunrise. And Jason went home and said, Paul, you need to get out of town. And so then you end up, Uh, This is the context for the letters to the Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, right? Uh, Which, again, deals with persecution and how we handle it. Um, It's just this, it's interesting to see how different it looked in the 1st century from what we think that it looks like in the 21st century. And this is what's even crazier about it, is even though people were being beaten and people were being murdered and people were being imprisoned for the gospel the church grew because their willingness to endure this was a testimony that they believed it and i think that's really cool to see
1: yeah and that's a great point about we are too quick to to cry persecution and like i also think that sometimes when we call that out we kind of belittle it like yeah it sucks when you're a Christian and you have to say that certain things are wrong that maybe otherwise you wouldn't disapprove of or people dislike you because they've had bad experiences with religion. And so they just group you with everyone else like that. Yeah, it sucks. It's not persecution though. Like it does not rise anywhere near the level of what the early church endured. So yeah, it's kind of inspirational to be able to read about things like the martyrdom of, of Stephen early on in the book of Acts Or like Paul being driven driven out of Thessalonica or whatever story you want to insert there and go, you know what, like if, if Stephen could give up his life, if Paul could repeatedly risk his life. And if we believe early church tradition, not from the book of Acts, but other traditions, then Paul does end up giving up his life being beheaded in the city of Rome. If those people could do that, then I can probably put up with someone shaming me on social media or whatever I have to deal with.
0: So, next question for you, Jason. Um, So, Paul is really my focus in Acts. Like, the first couple chapters, when you see the disciples, like, that's really cool. But you can see that Luke very quickly focuses in on Paul. Uh, By chapter 9, it tells the story of how he becomes a Christian. And I think by chapter 12, it's following him for the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, do you have an example of something Paul did in the book of Acts that you just think is really cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd use the word cool, but it's definitely interesting to me. Um, In Acts chapter 15, we see the first church council, uh, first ecumenical council. If you want an SAT word for the day, they're meeting in Jerusalem and this is many or all of the apostles it's the elders of the church in Jerusalem and Jerusalem's still like the home of the christian movement at this point in time they've started to spread out but this is still like the seat the seat of power as it were and so a bunch of important leaders gather in Jerusalem and they're trying to answer a handful of questions about like well, are we still in obedience to the law? Do people have to become Jews before they can become Christian? Should we even be preaching the gospel to Gentiles? Gentiles is, is the word for any non-Jew, uh, besides the Samaritans, which were half a half Jewish people. And Paul actually stands up in the middle of this council. And in, in verse 12, it says, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And this is, remember, Paul, at the beginning of the book, if you aren't familiar with the book of Acts, he was actually presiding over Stephen's execution, uh, which was not like a formal legal execution. It, it was a, a riot, essentially, where a mob of angry people drugged Stephen outside the city and stoned him to death threw heavy rocks at him until he died and, uh, not stoning. Yeah. Not, not the fun kind as Martin is, as Martin likes to say. Um, and so he, he presides over that. The thing that Luke mentions is that people are laying their coats at his feet. And this is like a sign that like, this is the person who is kind of granting their authority. And he either was a Pharisee. Well, he says that he was a Pharisee, but he was, um, Either a full member or like a junior member that was like in training, depending on a few extra biblical things that we aren't sure about. Um, and he was probably on the fast track to become a, ma- a member of the Sanhedrin sooner or later. His, his teacher, his rabbi, was a very high-ranking member of the Jewish religious elite. And so this is like a really important guy and he's kind of like giving his authority to the crowd being be like, no, 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 I know that you're technically breaking the law, but go ahead and kill this guy because I'm really important and I know people are really important and I approve this. And Luke even says, and Saul, that's his Jewish name, because Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name, uh, Saul approved of them killing Stephen. Right, so this is a guy that just a few years before this council in Jerusalem is actively killing Christians. And imprisoning a lot more than he's killing, but still, he's actively actually persecuting them. And now he's standing up in the middle of an ecumenical council and telling Christians, hey, you need to reevaluate your theology, because God is doing these awesome things amongst the Gentiles, and many of you are standing up and saying the Gentiles don't deserve Jesus, and I'm telling you they do. And it's just a really like, fascinating thing. That the early church was so willing to forgive him and the early church was so willing to listen to him and that he became such an influential person in the church and it makes my head spin because like we live in a in a day and age where it seems like we're so quick to give up on people. But at the same time, a lot of the people that we don't give up on, that we don't bar from leadership, end up committing the same sins over and over again. So, like, it becomes this really complicated, like, what do we do when someone really screws up? Like, are they not allowed to lead anymore? Do we let them lead? And, like, what about Paul? Paul literally killed a dude and then became, like, one of the most influential leaders in Christian history. It's just, so I don't know if I'd use the word cool, but it's fascinating to see what god did with paul and the early church's reaction to him and it just kind of makes my head spin so i don't have any great like theological input there it just it's a lot to think about
0: yeah i already kind of mentioned my favorite uh story and that's the one where jason gets drug out by all the like super shady people uh, and again it's because i think it's a really great image of persecution and what it really is um, and also it gives us a really good idea of what the church faced every day so but that's what we have so we want to take a second and thank you guys for listening uh again Jason and I are really grateful for this we really just love doing this I was talking to someone today and they said I heard you have a podcast and I said well kind of uh, it's a buddy of mine and we basically have conversations like this every time we talk. We just record them now, uh, so we love getting to do this, and we're so glad that you guys have joined us. If you guys have something you want us to cover, uh, you can email us at the Real Pocket Theology, or the Real—is that right? Just real, real Pocket Theology
1: at gmail.com.
0: Okay, Jason set up the email, so I don't remember. Uh, or you can text us or send us a message on Facebook. So, thank you guys.